morning to Mark chapter number 4 and finish up there today. Mark chapter number 4. And uh, as I mentioned with serving and things, you might be in a spot in your life where you're like, well, pastor, I just right now, I just can't serve right now, maybe later on. What's going to happen is once we go through some training and some help in areas, later on if someone wants to join into a ministry, they'll just have to go through the training to get to that spot. So it, can, it does not have to be right now. You can do it later on, and that's fine. It's just the starting spot for all those things. Mark chapter number four. Mark chapter number four. We've been here for a while, and we're going to finish up the chapter this morning and see some things from the Word of God to be a help to us and some things that to help us today. Sometimes they're encouraging, sometimes they're not so encouraging, but things to help us nonetheless. I want you to understand something as we read these verses this morning. There was no accident about this storm. The Lord did not just, oh, we're going to go on a boat, and then the storm came, and oh, I wasn't expecting that. Jesus knew what was coming. He knew what they were going to go through. And he gave them some words to help them along the way. And there's lots of lessons we can learn. We're going to learn those this morning from this passage. And I believe that today the message can help you. Because you've got to understand, I'm guessing you're in one of three places this morning as we dive into the message. You're either in a storm right now, you're coming out of a storm, or there's a storm coming. That pretty much would describe each and every one of us. So the message this morning has something for each and every one of us. Sometimes you can see the storms coming miles ahead. I remember traveling with my parents through the Midwest, and you would see those thunderstorms coming, and you knew it was coming. Other times they come out of nowhere. A storm's unpredictable. You have a weatherman say you're going to have a storm, then no, no rain even comes. So as we look at this passage, we look at verse number 35, and it says, In the same day, when the even was come. This has been quite a day. It's taken us about five weeks to go through this entire day. I'm sure Jesus is pretty tired after this long day. He had a long day. The disciples had a long day. And remember, he was really on the boat because there were so many people gathered right there. He was trying to teach them. And it says, and when the, it says, and when the same day when the even was come, he said unto them, let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitudes, they took him even as he was in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. It's not a good thing. It's, good. it's okay for a boat to be full of people, but you don't want a boat full of water. That's not a good thing, in case you haven't figured that out yet. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and said unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly, and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Something very interesting here. You'll notice in verse 37 that there was a great storm that came. 
You'll notice there in verse number 39 that there was a great calm. But then you'll look, they feared exceedingly. The word exceedingly there is the same that's used for great in those other two places. There was a great storm that was greatly calmed, and yet there was great fear in the disciples after the calm. A lot of lessons to learn this morning. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer and dive right in this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for this passage of Scripture. And I pray that you'd help us get what you have for us this morning. I know that, as I mentioned earlier, that we are probably somewhere either in a storm right now, getting ready to come out of a storm, or there's one approaching in our lives. Wherever we are, there are some truths that we need from this passage today. I pray that you'd help us, guide us this morning. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If Jesus is on the boat, we should be willing to go anywhere with him. He was on the boat. We look at this passage, and they've, the disciples have been learning a lot already to this point with Jesus. And now, here we go again with another lesson. But as we look at this in our text today, we see five truths about God's plans for us today and what he taught them there. I want to start out, and we'll dive right into points number one this morning. We see his plan, God's plan, may be puzzling at times. You may not understand why God wants you to do something or what's going on or why it's done this way. You notice verse 35, And the same day when he was come, he said unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. It's been a long day of ministry for Jesus. It's been a long day of ministry for the disciples. And there is no, and you talk about, if you are serving people and doing the work of ministry, in all honesty, it will wear you out at the end of the day. Jesus had to have been completely worn out by this time. And as we look at this passage, Jesus has been criticized by the scribes or confronted by them. He's been criticized by his own family. Because of the crowds, he's been preaching from a boat, giving them some parables. And now he wants to go on a boat ride in the evening. Now, the boats we have today, that might be fun. I don't love boats today. And I especially imagine a boat back in those days. You say, Pastor, you don't like airplanes, you don't like boats. What do you like? Ground, dry ground. That's what I like. I'm a f I like that a lot. You say, you just need more faith. Anyways, we'll keep on going there. I probably do. You worry about you and I'll worry about me. That's half my problem right there. Why, was, why did he want to go to the other side? Many people have tried to guess and try and figure it out. And there's lots of different reasons. Could be to escape the crowd. You see this crowd kept following, right? You go to the other side, it might take them a little bit of time to get over there. It could have been to just take some time. Maybe it was just to teach his disciples this lesson right at this moment. It could be that there was a man that needed help on the other side, which we will look at next Sunday. So I'm not going to jump too far into that thought. It could have been to reach those people on the other side. This is not some normal thing that we look at here. And as we look at it, the Sea of Galilee is mentioned 53 times in the Gospels. It's the setting for a lot of messages and the miracles of Jesus, but the focus is never on the other side. That's primarily because that side of the lake was where the Gentiles lived, 
And the Jewish people, for the most part, avoided that side altogether. They didn't want to hang out with pagan people. And it was commonly believed that maybe even the devil lived there. There were devils that lived there, and we'll talk about that next Sunday. The other side was unsettling. It was uncertain. So why go to the other side, right? When we think about this, they were called to follow Jesus' plan even when it didn't make sense. We are called to follow his plan even when it doesn't make sense. I love this. The disciples don't hesitate. If that's where Jesus wants to go, that's where they go. You look at verse 36. And when they sent away the multitudes, they took him even as he was in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. They took Jesus even as he was, meaning they didn't make any preparations. They didn't gather anything. He was already in the boat, so he has got in and went after they sent the multitude away. Luke chapter 8 and verse 23 lets us know that probably as they started on this boat ride, it was a nice clear afternoon, late afternoon, evening. I told you one of my favorite words in the Bible is the word but. But God commendeth his love toward us. Or but God meant it for good. Or um, in Ephesians chapter number 2, but God who is rich in mercy wherewith he loved us. This would not be one of those buts that are as pleasant. But as they sailed... A storm was brewing as they began to sail and as they were sailing. And so, number one this morning, his plans may be puzzling. Number two, his plans, Jesus' plans, his, God's will for us often includes problems. It often includes problems. The Sea of Galilee was really a lake, not a sea. But it's called a sea because of the characteristics that it had. And so it's about 13 miles long and about 8 miles wide. And it's the lowest freshwater lake in the world. And this lake is known to have severe storms on it because you have the snow-capped Mount, Mount Hermon there. And it combines with the warm lake air causing thunderstorms. And so there's quite the storms that could develop on the Sea of Galilee. It wasn't uncommon for waves to reach the heights of 10 to 12 feet, and sometimes up to 20 feet. One commentator writes, the sea was known to swallow entire ships and gulp down people. There was a lot of superstition about things about this, uh, about this lake, too, and different things. And when we think about these things, it says in verse 37, And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. The word great means megas, which means something being huge. This was a major storm. This was not like the weathermen tell us, get ready, flash flooding, get your sandbags ready, and then you get two, two sprinkles from the sky, and it's on the news that we had incredible rain. No, this was a major storm. A major storm. And as we look at this, even the book of Luke chapter 8, verse 23, lets us know, and they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And Alex Trebek wasn't there. They were in peril. They were in trouble. This was a major problem. You're on a boat and it's full of water. What's going to happen? 
It's going to sink. This is in the evening and night. This is n you don't have a bright light out there. This is scary for them. But don't miss the point that Jesus sent them into this boat. He knew what was coming. In order to get to the other side, they had to go through the storm. Don't think that because you're going through some choppy seas or going through a storm that somehow you're being punished because you're not obedient to God. There are storms that come into life that are like that. We think of Jonah. Didn't that happen to Jonah? God told him what to do, and the Bible says, but the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was like to be broken. And Jonah disobeyed God, and God sent a storm to teach him a lesson. But I'll tell you this, all the storms in life are not always there because of disobedience here. It could just be as the disciples here, God had a lesson for them to learn. And so be easy, don't judge someone based on the storm that they're in. Because as I mentioned a minute ago, you could possibly be in a storm very soon. If you're not in one right now. Or if you're not on your way. And sometimes storms come back to back. Sometimes there's a break in between. Maybe the storm of your life is like a hurricane. And it's got an eye in the center and you've got a little sunshine for a minute. And then the strong wind comes right back. Storms are very unpredictable. But and when we think about storms, there's a couple of things I want you to realize about them. When storms come, they're often, first of all, at array, they're often sudden. They come in a split second, seemingly out of nowhere. Hey, church, you know it's true in your life. It takes one phone call. It takes one doctor's visit. It takes one accident. It takes one job loss or one relational rupture in your life. One second, you can be in the middle of a storm. They come suddenly. The other thing about storms is a lot of times they're very severe. The disciples think they're going to drown. There might be someone here this morning that the storm that you're going through in your life, you feel like you can't stay above water. We know here for a fact that at least four of these disciples were fishermen, which know they knew the sea very well, and they were scared. John MacArthur said this, and I thought it was pretty funny. It's a dark day when sailors call on a carpenter to get them out of a storm. Storms often come sudden, severely, and then surprising. I'm often surprised when a storm hits, but we shouldn't be surprised because the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trials which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But in our lives, when the storms come, they often come suddenly. They can be severe. They surprise us. You've got to understand something this morning. God's plan may be puzzling. And oftentimes, God's plan may include problems, but they always come with number three. His plans come with his presence. That's a wonderful thing to know and to keep in mind. Where is Jesus when the storm comes? He's taking a power nap in the boat. Verse 38 says, and he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. We see here a picture of the humanity of Jesus. 
he was worn out. He was so tired, he was sleeping. He must, he must have thought he was on a waterbed. I don't know what he was thinking right then. That boat's filling up with water, and he's sleeping. And yet, think about this. He's so tired, he's sleeping, we see the humanity of Christ. And yet he's in control of the whole situation. We see the deity of Christ at the same time. He's peaceful even though there's a problem taking place. He's asleep and they're sweating. He's on the throne and on the boat with them at the same time. You notice Jesus didn't keep them from the storm. He went through it with them. The disciples are a mess. They're undone, and they wake him up, and they scream out a question. Drip, and this, is, this question, look what it says there. Master, carest thou not that we perish? This literally reads, do we mean so little to you? That's literally what, do we mean so little to you that you're letting us, we're going to die here? That's the question they asked Jesus. And you see, it's often a characteristic and something that we do in the midst of a storm or a trial in our lives. We start to question the character of God, and we question his goodness. God, do you really care about, are you really good? God is good. In the midst of all things, he's good. And while they're taking on water and sinking under the waves of worry, they're like, you're asleep. Sometimes we're going through a storm in our life and looking at things and we're, God, where are you? Are you sleeping in the midst of where I'm at today? The psalmist penned these words, Psalm 44, 23. Awake, why sleepest thou, O Lord? Arise, cast us not off forever. In Psalm 10, verse 1, why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? We cry the same things at times. As we're going through a storm, as we're going through a trial in our life. Some people will try to point out, some skeptics of the word of God will point out, they say there's a conflict between Matthew, Mark, and Luke when it comes to, these, to, come to this passage. In the book of Mark, he, they cry out, Master. In Matthew, they use Lord. And in Luke, they say, Master, Master, twice. Say, oh, which one did they say? I'm sure they said all of it. Lord, there, you know, the... The boat's filling up with water. Storms are loud. The lightning, the thunder, everything else. Lord, Master, Master, wake up. Don't you care? Don't you care enough about us to, to do something about this? The greatest storm that night was not on the Sea of Galilee. It was in the hearts of the disciples. One commentator put it like this, the storm of the sea whipped up a storm of doubt within them that threatened to drown them all. You look at your life and you say, where's God in this situation? He's there. But he's silent, where is he? Got to understand, friends, this morning, don't confuse God's silence with a lack of compassion because he cares deeply about you. 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Matthew Henry said this, that the ship that has Christ in it, though it may be tossed, it cannot sink. 
this might help you in the midst of your storm. Maybe when you're sinking under a sea of despair, of anxiety and stress, remember this phrase. Don't despair because Christ is there. It's, you got to think about this. It is only in a storm that we truly understand who Jesus is. We learn the most about Christ in crisis in our life. Storms, let me help you this morning. Storms are not meant to destroy you. Christ does not, and God does not send you a storm to destroy you. A while back, I, and I should have gotten the words up on the screen, the song, How Firm a Foundation. There's a verse on that song. Joe, pull up How Firm a Foundation real quick. Remember you're on 1 Peter 5-7, or I'll help you remember that. Do you need me to spell H-O-W, how, space, firm. I think it's the last verse. Go to one slide past that real quick, and let me make sure that's the right one. Yeah, go back one now. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. I love this here. The flame shall not hurt thee. I only design thy dross to consume, thy gold to refine. The storms are of life are not meant to destroy you. They're meant to develop you. Sometimes that's hard for us to deal with. Since Jesus says who he is, we have nothing to fear in the storms that we go through. His plans for us may be puzzling. You can go back to the slides, Joe. And they often include problems, but they'll come with his presence. And then his plans always, number four, demonstrate his power. I love how Jesus slept through the storm, but as soon as his children cry out, he woke up. It's interesting how mothers do that. They can be completely out and they hear their children cry and they have like radar ears for it. Men have what we call selective hearing syndrome. And you just, you know, you just make sure you open up an eye and make sure your wife is moving. And then you can close that eye and go back to sleep. Say, did you ever do that? Yes. The, um, it's, it's funny, but our first three children, they all, the Caroline... Caroline fed all of them. The last one was a bottle. Because I would tell her in the middle of the night, if they're hungry, there's nothing I can do. It wasn't that way with Matthew. I had to get up and I would, and I fed him. And so we made that work. And, uh, but it's amazing how they can, Caroline could be out. And when she's out, she's out. But a kid cry, and even sometimes she'll wake up thinking she hears them crying. I'm like, what are you doing? I thought I heard the kids cry. And it's, as soon as the master hears his children cry, he wakes up. Verse 39 says, And he arose and rebuked the wind and the sea, and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. You notice, didn't the disciples ask him a question? Master, carest thou not that we perish? He doesn't respond to the question. 
He just gets up. He cared about them because the answer they needed was in demonstration of his power. All Jesus had to do was utter a command, and that which he created instantly obeyed. What a picture. When Christ spoke, all the forces of nature took notice. What God creates, what Jesus creates, he controls. When he rebuked the howling wind and the roaring waves, they bowed before him. The phrase Jesus used means to be muzzled and remain so. Chapter number one, where he told a demon to be quiet, it's the same thing that Jesus is saying to this storm, to the wind, and to the waves. And when we think about this, we think about Psalm 89, verse number nine, thou rulest the raging of the sea when the waves thereof rise, thou stillest them. Psalm 107, 29, he maketh the storm a calm so that the waves thereof are still with a word. Jesus makes a major windstorm, and he stop. Also, you think about this. The wind might stop in one second, but normally those waves don't just stop. They take some time to stop. But immediately the wind stops, and the water stops. The wave stops instantly. Two miracles take place. The wind stops and he stills the water. You notice, as we look at this, really only two things obeyed the Lord very well in this passage. The wind and the water. Jesus said, we're going to the other side. The disciples didn't quite believe that one in the midst of the storm. You say, well, you been, it would have been the same way with us. Don't get thinking so high. They had him on the boat with him. We look at number five, and then I'm going to give you a few thoughts here this morning. Some application will be done. Number five, his plan always has a purpose. God's plan always has a purpose. This afternoon for the graduation, I like to, when I do a message for graduation, I like to take the message and I like to individualize it. Last year I had a couple graduates to do that with. The year before I had a couple. Today there's one student. And I'm taking more thoughts from what we've talked about this morning. I'm going to talk about Romans chapter number 12. That we're to prove that God's will is good. We got to learn to accept it. And we got to learn that it's there to perfect us, to mature us. God's will, God's plans always have purpose behind them. The greatest storm that night was not on the Sea of Galilee, but it was in the hearts of the disciples. There are some things the disciples never were going to learn if they didn't go through the storm on the Sea of Galilee that night. I love that while the disciples accused and attacked Jesus of not caring about them, he responded gently and tenderly to them. That's where truth turns to trust and where learning is translated to living. Jesus gives them three purposes behind the storm that they went through. Letter A, we see it was to deal with fear. 
Why do we go through storms in life? One of the reasons to deal with our fear. After rebuking the storm, Jesus asked the disciples a question, verse number 40. The question, the first question is this, why are ye so fearful? That word means timid, to the point of giving up. He had already promised, he said in verse 35, let us pass over unto the other side. He promised they were going to the other side. What more did they need? They had seen the miracles take place. They had seen all that Jesus was doing. What more did they need to see? But this storm, the, one of the purposes was to deal with fear. And Jesus asked us the same question in the midst of our storms. Why are you so fearful? The past year and a half, I've seen so many Christians so fearful. I'm not talking about there's a difference, caution, and there's nothing wrong with caution. And I'm not talking about being cautious. But why so fearful? God is in control. Well, we have three people that believe that in the room. God's in control. What do we have to fear? You'll look at this passage and say, well, the disciples, they've been with Jesus. They've seen all these things. Why are they so fearful? Well, you've seen him work in your life. You've seen him save you. You've grown in the Lord. You have a relationship with him. Why are we so fearful? Why do I have a hard time getting on a boat or an airplane? There, I'll put it in more relevant terms, right? If he can control and do what he's done, he can control anything. And he knows what's best. His plan is always that purpose. Letter A, to deal with our fear. Letter B, to grow our faith. He goes on to a second question. He asks them, how is it that ye have no faith? It really could be translated like this. Do you not yet have faith? You know what crushes faith? Fear does. Fear can fillet our faith. But faith can remove fear. You see, the biggest issue is not that Jesus stopped the storm, but that he couldn't find their faith anywhere. As I mentioned before, it's ironic that the wind and the waves are the ones who obey the Lord the most in this passage. But his plans have a purpose. What are the purposes? To deal with our fear, to grow our faith. Let us see, to increase our awe. One pastor said this, he said, the only thing worse than having a storm outside your boat is to have the Lord Almighty inside your boat. Did they not realize who was in the boat with them? The maker of the wind. The maker of the sea. After Jesus asked them those questions, the disciples were very unsettled. And we see in verse 41, and they feared exceedingly and said one to another, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And Luke adds that they were afraid and they wondered or they marveled. They didn't quite realize who was with them. You've heard about the calm before the storm, right? 
This was the storm after the calm. The sea's at rest. Everything is still. There's no more water coming in the boat. And the disciples are all fearful and messed up, churned up inside. The word fear, as it says here in verse number 41, they feared it. The word feared, it means they feared a great fear. To be stricken with awe and amazement in the presence of one greater than self. They realized who was standing before them. And yet he's the same one who was teaching them a few hours before. The same one who performed all the miracles that had taken place. With all of his deity on display, they are twice as terrified at Jesus as they are at the storm. If Jesus did that to the forces of nature, what could he do to them? There was a great windstorm, a great calm, and they had great fear. Maybe Psalm 93, verse number 4, was going through their heads. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, yea, than the mighty waves of the sea. In short, really, the disciples didn't have a category to put the Lord into. (laughs) He was more frightening than what they had just experienced in the storm. They realized they were in the presence of the King of Kings. And it's kind of like what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter number 6. Woe is me, for I am undone. Something to just think about and to, to just get some thoughts. You'll notice that that's exactly what others did when they realized who he was. Peter, in Luke 5, 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. The woman who was healed by touching Jesus' garment had a similar response in Mark 5. We'll look there in a few weeks, verse 33. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing that was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. John, in the book of Revelation, the island of Patmos, he saw Jesus, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. I wonder if sometimes, and this is just a thought, that we overemphasize the fact that Jesus is our friend at the expense of losing our awe and fear of him. A reverential awe of God will keep us from being afraid when the storms come. Jesus reveals his plan through this storm. His plans may be puzzling. His plans often include problems. His plan comes with his presence. His plan demonstrates his power. And his plan always has a purpose. As I reflected on this passage, I realized something. We're all on the same boat. No pun intended there. But I want to give you a few thoughts this morning to help us, some application. And I know it's 930. I know we've gone for a while here. But a message with all knowledge and no application does not help us. We need some application for our lives. Let's get these down, and we'll be done fairly shortly here. Number one, Christ cares for you and can help in your crisis. The disciples in this passage accuse Jesus of not caring about them. Let's not make that same mistake. This incident reveals both the humanity and the deity of 
Jesus. He fell asleep, and he also spoke, and the wind and the storm stopped. He understands, in his humanity today, Jesus understands what we're going through. Because he's fully man. But as God, he can do something about it. That's where Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16 comes into play. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see, number one, Christ cares for you, and he's the only one who can help in crisis. Number two, Christ is in complete control of everything. Just some lessons we can learn. We don't know what's coming, but Jesus does. He's great. He's good. He's wise. You can trust him today. Someone wrote this, anything under God's control is never out of control. But pastor, my life's out of control. The Lord knows what's going on. And he's in complete control. Our world looks like a mess, doesn't it? The God of this world is doing a pretty good job of messing everything up. But who's in the ultimate control of everything? God is. Don't forget it. You can trust him. Every crisis we go through is really an, an opportunity to get to know him better. Psalm And you've got to understand something. The Lord doesn't sleep. He's not sleeping on you today. Some of you might be sleeping during the message, Russ, but, some, but those of you that, he doesn't sleep in the middle of a message. Psalm 121, 3 and 4, he will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Christ in complete control of everything. Number three, we must all go through storms to get to the other side. It's easy to be faithful when it's sunshine and 70 degrees. And it's a lot harder to get to the other side when you're going through a hurricane. We're not promised an easy trip. All things work together for good. Not all things are good. They work together for good. There are not, you're not promised an easy road. But I will tell you this, you are guaranteed arrival at your destination. The only way to the other side is through storms, through life. Settle this right now and don't be surprised when the storms come. In early Christian art, the church is often depicted as a boat driven upon a perilous sea. There's going to be tough times. Jesus knew what the disciples were about to go through, and he said, let's go to the other side. And just so you know, look at chapter 5, verse number 1, and they came over onto the other side. It happened. They got there. Number 5, actually number 4, sorry. You're like, 5, we didn't do 4. If you're going through a storm, you better have Jesus in your boat. You'll notice something, and I, I noticed this, and I didn't really give it much thought until I was thinking about some application. Verse 36 says, And there were also with him other little ships. 
I wouldn't have wanted to be on any of those other little ships in the midst of this storm. You know where I would want to be? Right there with Jesus. And let me ask you this this morning. Is he in your boat? Is the Lord in your life? That's where we need him to be. If the Lord's, if you're, if the Lord's in your boat, let me just give you some thoughts. He can still calm the waves and the storms you go through. He can help you get through the addictions you're facing today. He can fix your marriage. He can fix your children. He can do a lot of things. He can lead you into the future. Jesus said, let us go over. He didn't say, let us go under. The difference between those two. Number five, make sure that Jesus is steering your ship. Are you allowing him to be the commander of your boat? Something interesting as I was studying this passage in verse 38, we see, and he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow. They did not load a bunch of things into the ship before they left, right? They took Jesus as he was, right? Now, I know some of you, you might carry a pillow with you places that you go, but I doubt they were carrying. He didn't even, he slept on, raw, on stones and he didn't have a place for his head. A lot of times what would happen is there was a specific pillow that was on these boats and this cushion was reserved for the captain of the ship. I think it's interesting. I'm not saying that this was this pillow but it quite possibly could have been. And just a little thought there. Make sure you let Jesus steer your ship. Quit trying to take the controls from him and let him lead. You might not like where he leads you, but where he leads you, follow. That's what we need to do. Number six, grow in your awe of Christ. Settle the fact that life is not about you. Matthew 14, we see that later on they were in the water again. And the boat was getting tossed with waves. And Jesus comes to them on the water, and they become terrified. And Peter then walks on the water. And then what happens? In verse 32, it says, And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Grow in your awe of Christ. He's a friend to sinners. He's the best friend you will ever have. But he is also God. Don't ever lose sight of that. The disciples were there, and you say, well, I, I have awe of God. The disciples got to see the miracles. And they, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? We get to number seven. And we're at the end here. Jesus won't always calm the storm, but he will calm you. You will not know how many times every week, last night, I'm talking to someone from our church, late at night last night, they called. And I, I will take calls at any time. If, and let me just give you a little thought here, too. If you ever call me and you're like, Pastor didn't answer the phone, do me a favor. If you call me, leave a message. And tell me, if, like if you're going through something at that moment, leave me a message and I listen to my messages right away. My thought is if someone doesn't leave me a message, it must not have been super important. If you, and, and on the message, don't just say, call me back. 
Some people do that. Russell Becker, he does that all the time. He does that on purpose because he doesn't tell me what he wants. And he does that, so I'll call him back to figure out what he wants. So sometimes I just make him wait because he doesn't tell me what he wants. So that's just a little thought for you. you and so I'll do my best. Like last night, it was almost midnight. My phone's ringing. I'm like, oh, great. I answer it. Spent about 45 minutes on the phone last night till almost 1 o'clock last night on the phone. Why won't God just take the storm away? I said, you better be in church tomorrow. You better be in church because we're talking about this. But you got to understand something. The Apostle Paul went through a terrible storm in Acts chapter 27. The Lord didn't calm his storm. In fact, it seemed like the storm just got worse. He gets shipwrecked. They end up trying to get sticks together to make a fire. A, a viper bites him. And it just gets worse and worse and worse. And yet, the Apostle Paul had great faith. It seems like things got worse. The disciples had no faith here, and the Lord took the storm away. You say, well, why would he not take Paul's storm away? Why would he take the disciples' storm away? Because it's about his will, God's will. He may not want to take your storm away right now. But let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Our prayer often is, Lord, take this away. When our prayer should be, Lord, help me as you lead me through this storm. He may not steal the storm that you're in right now, but he can. He may not change your circumstances, but he could. But I want you to understand something. Your storm might not always calm, but he can calm you. He's the Prince of Peace. Warren Worsby put it like this, the greatest danger was not the wind or the waves. It was the unbelief in their hearts. Our greatest problems are within us, not around us. A lot of great lessons from this passage. And maybe you're in a storm right now and there's something that you needed that was mentioned today. Maybe you're coming out the other side of the storm or you think you are and you're just in the eye of the hurricane and you got a little break. Maybe life's good, Pastor. Be careful saying that. There could be a storm on the horizon coming. Wherever you're at, there's a lot of great lessons we can take from this passage and apply to our lives. Father.